0: Thanks for praying and singing. Thank you, Desiree, for leading us. If uh, you'd like to follow along this morning, in the book of Acts, we are going to be in chapter 16, chapter 16, and we're only going to read a few verses today, and then we'll highlight the rest of the chapter, but there's some some really exciting things happening in these first couple sentences of Acts 16 that we will uh, focus on today. Uh, Last week, if you were here or uh, followed along in the Home Liturgy Guide, or maybe you listened online as well uh, on our website, we do post the audio uh, versions of of these messages. Um, We observed... A significantly profound decision that was made, uh, you may recall the apostles and the elders of uh, the the early expression of what we call church. They wrote this letter to uh, for for Paul to take to Antioch to deliver to people uh, who had been told by other religious folks that they weren 't invited in, and you may recall that uh, there was this moment where the, the apostles and the elders were together, and what we read in verse, uh, in verse 29, at the end of that letter, the apostles and elders, they write, it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us, <laughs> that it shouldn't be too hard for you Gentiles who are turning to God, which are some really cool words And this was a profound decision because, for two reasons, it it was a Holy Spirit-led one, and I think those are probably some of the better decisions that we could make in life, as if we feel like the Spirit of God is motivating the decision. But it's it's an exciting one historically because it was evidence that God finally got the attention of his people. (laughs) And this is what I mean by that, is, is this decision that's being made is not for the first time in human existence, God now welcomes Gentiles. This is not true. It didn't take the rubber stamp of human approval for that to be true about God. The Old Testament is saturated with texts about what it looks like to care for the foreigner among us, the poor among us, the widow and the orphan among us. And so, from the very beginning of people trying to make sense of the God of Israel, the people who were being pushed out, God always wanted in But it finally took a moment for people to actually posture themselves in the Spirit for that decision that once again was the decision that God made from the beginning to finally become the voice of the majority, the voice of the people who actually had authority in the church. For centuries, certain people groups were excluded from the community of God. And that was wrong. It was wrong. And in this moment of Acts, it it is, or at least should have been, the marker in human history in which life after it looks fundamentally different. I'd like to read... The first five verses of chapter 16, really focusing in on verses 4 and 5, and we're going to tie that in with the rest of chapter 16 as we go along. So this is after that decision. This is after the letter was delivered. And if you may recall, this was after the disagreement between uh, Paul and Barnabas. This is what it says, after that disagreement, they part ways, and then Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, that is Timothy. And so Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, once again, Paul's missionary journey, So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, because they knew that his father was Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions. Those are our key words today. They delivered the decisions that were reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Verse 5 because of the delivery of the decisions, get this, the churches were strengthened and they grew in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. And we'll go ahead and stop there because we already know that Paul's ministry was a ministry to the Gentiles. We, we've already learned this in Acts But this decision by the apostles and the elders, if it did anything, it just added fuel to his fire. Because if we know anything about kind of the stubbornness of Paul, is that he was going to reach the Gentiles anyways. Whether the apostles and the elders kind of agreed or not. But what this does, it just adds fuel to the fire. Paul has this letter. Paul can go, hey, it's not just me saying this. We read in chapter 16, verse 4, I emphasized it earlier, is that they delivered the decisions reached by the church leaders as they traveled, just like any missionary would do. However, heard in between the lines of these decisions, surely was the voice and nature of a God that was now finally being viewed once again by the majority of peoples as open armed radically loving, and inclusive. We've already established that God was like this the whole time, but it finally took a group of humans to be obedient to the Spirit, and not only obedient to the Spirit but bold enough to speak against an oppressive majority. We prayed earlier together, reminding ourselves that God God hates oppression. He hates it. He loves justice, hates oppression. I think we often take for granted the power and impact of our voices, of our words. Except what I mean this morning is not so much what we end up saying, but I think we often take for granted the power and impact of what goes unsaid. I call it, it's very, just putting together words that already exist, but I, I call it selective Human silence. Selective human silence, that is, what goes left unsaid, is absolutely brutal. Historically, presently, brutal. Silence has pushed to the back burner Countless narratives, most of them tragic and embarrassing, leaving opportunities for enlightenment stranded. When we're selectively silent, then we limit the opportunities for us to actually do what? Learn from the past. (laughs) If we don't talk about it, we can't learn from it. If it gets pushed back after... Decades, centuries, millennium even, we can't learn from it. And I want to be clear here, this is one of the glaring, just, you talk about embarrassment, that we see in the Scriptures. I want to be so clear, is that it was the religious leaders and teachers of the law Those who had the most access to the ancient scriptures and those who were seen as those who had the most knowledge of the ancient scriptures. It was those people who not only avoided God's love as a talking point, but they tried to kill and oftentimes were successful those who could only talk about God's love. And I, I want to walk that back and repeat it. It was the people who had access. It was Here's another way of saying that. It was the people who were in power. It was people who knew better enough that were the ones who practiced selective human silence. They didn't talk about God's radically inclusive love as a talking point, and they tried to kill people who did. And when I say that, I mean quite literally the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament and someone named Jesus (laughs) who was killed because of doing things like we just read about earlier, healing the blind, healing people on the Sabbath, forgiving tax collectors and, and prostitutes, Now, hear this, it is to the degree in which the people of God proclaim and embody God's good news of salvation and resurrection that the message itself will actually have an impact. It is to the degree in which the people of God share the good news and embody the good news not only in our words, but in our deeds, that the message itself will actually have an impact. Because the gospel is not only the news that saves us. Hear me now. It is the news that saves us, but that's not only what it is. It is also a message that we are stewards of with a responsibility to share with others. Once again, in both word... Indeed, I was a part of an online conference this last Thursday and Friday uh, called the Christian Community Development Association Conference. Christian Community Development Association is out of Lawndale, Chicago. It's about 30 years old. They've done incredible work. If you were to have seen Lawndale, Chicago uh, before the 80s, and now it's night and day in some regards, but out of this one church and out of the ministry of Reverend John Perkins and Wayne Gordon, Lawndale, Chicago now has church-sponsored legal help. Can you imagine the the church in Lawndale? is on the front lines of of providing health care, legal assistance. This is way beyond just the church, right? And yet, what they are doing is approaching the community holistically, believing that the gospel is not only good news for the church folk, but it's also good news for those who might need some help with getting their legal stuff straightened out with a landlord or help someone who has a chronic illness but can't afford health insurance or doesn't have health insurance because of a job. And what they've done, what this association has done, has said, no, the church is going to lead... What the good news for everyone looks like in every area of life—it's really quite beautiful. And during this conference, I heard someone say, uh, "Hey, hey, Christians, hey, people of God," and this is this is a phrase that you're going to hear again because it's going to take me a while to work this out. We are not owners with rights. But we are stewards with responsibilities. That's massive. And that thing has tripped me up since the moment I heard it. But the person who spoke is absolutely right. As Christians, we're not owners with rights. That is, we don't own things that we keep to ourselves. But we are stewards in that we have been given things, and therefore, since they are not ours to keep, they are ours to be responsibly sharing with others. I want to identify for us a pattern that the world is in. If you're familiar with the opening words of Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Well, what does that mean? It's habits. It's things that people who live from a worldly understanding habitually do. I want to identify a pattern of this world, and that is of finger-pointing and grudge-holding. That is a pattern of this world, and you cannot escape it. Is that it just seems, we're at a point right now where it just seems most natural, and it just seems easiest, and it just seems like the right thing to do is to point fingers and hold grudges. But the gospel is, could I say, fundamentally the opposite. (laughs) The gospel is a message of forgiveness, not finger-pointing. Forgiveness, not blame. And it is a message of new life now, not holding a grudge. We We don't hold this grudge until we're ready to actually forgive it. It's new life now. That's the gospel. It's forgiveness now. It's new life now. So, if you feel absolutely bogged down and swamped with negativity from the world around you, and if the good news is good news for you today, then you can be sure that there are plenty of your family and your friends. And others that you come into contact with that feel just as bogged down as you and could use just as good of news as what is good for you today. You can be rest assured that if you're bogged down, a lot of other people are too. Maybe not everyone, but a lot of others are. And if you're sick of the negativity... So is everyone, right? So is everyone else. And so if it's good news for you to hear a message of forgiveness and new life now, then that's probably good news for so many other people as well. And so I say this, that we can't be silent with our words and actions anymore. We We can't. Friends, there is so much on the line, and I'm not talking about November. I'm just talking about where we're at right now on October, whatever day it is. There's so much at stake. I mentioned earlier, first Saturday of every month, we have volunteers from the Dream Center. And if you'd like to be a part of these teams, please let me know, um, where we send out the same teams of people to knock on the same doors in this neighborhood on the first Saturday of every month. We launched in March, we pivoted because there's a pandemic, it's still happening, but we're doing it safely now. We've got masks, we're spaced out, we're doing it safely. And we had people come back yesterday. You may have heard me pray some unique prayers during the end of prayers of the people. Those are real people that are getting stalled at the social security office, that are getting stalled and blocked and stopped To get more link assistance and food stamp assistance and rental assistance. Those are real, actual people. And that's what I mean by there's too much at stake. Is that there are people right now among us, and we might be some of them, who need to just pivot and say, enough is enough. God has decided that everyone belongs in the kingdom. That is a decision that God has made. It's a decision that humans finally got a clue of in Acts chapter 15. They finally decided it. They wrote it down in a letter. But be rest assured that is a decision that that God made long ago. And we must remind ourselves that we are the ones who are tasked with delivering the decisions of God in both word and deed. We read of someone named Lydia in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. It's a conversation that happened by a body of water. And we don't have details into the conversation, but what we do read is that we sat down and began to speak to those who were there and they all heard the decision of God, and they started worshiping God in that moment. Conversation. You don't have to reinvent anything. You don't have to memorize a Bible verse. You are just an announcer and a proclaimer of the decision that God has already made about you and everyone else, is that God wants everyone in. God wants everyone in. Later on, Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. There's this dramatic moment where the people, the, the, the people who threw them into prison, right, the guards, you can imagine that that could have been a pretty violent encounter. There's this dramatic moment where God uh, brings down the walls of the prison and the, the gates swing open And out of fear that his commanding officer is going to kill him because the prisoners escaped, the guard gets ready to kill his own self because he doesn't want to have to face his commander. And the people who were just thrown into jail by that person go, don't kill yourself. And I love that they didn't even just run out of the jail. They even had the wherewithal to, in that moment, turn to their oppressor and say, don't harm yourself. We're here. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your household will be saved. Believe that God even wants you into the kingdom. Believe that God even wants you to receive the benefits of his love and his mercy. I'm looking forward to the rest of the book of Acts because it's going to be that decision of God that just gets announced and announced and announced in all of the different ways, in words but in actions as well. So with that in mind... um, We're going to turn now to the communion table, which we gather around every week that we're together. And one of the main reasons that we do this is because um, we need moments. We want to allow ourselves moments to remember that decision that we just talked about, the, the decision that God, once again, has already made, that he wants everyone in the kingdom. And so the cool thing about this meal is that everyone's invited to eat it, because why wait? We, we've read so many stories in Acts that end up, you know, the, the, these people that come into contact with people who are announcing God's decision, they go, well, why should I wait to be baptized? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> why should we wait to um, have someone jump through some hoop in order to gather at this meal with God and with their brothers and sisters. The juice representing the blood of Jesus poured out for us, the the bread representing the body of Jesus broken for us. And if we can remember that moment, then we don't have to think too far down the road to think of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus and what is now made possible possible Because of the resurrection of Jesus, that being what we just talked about, new life now made possible for everyone. And we can not only say that, and we should, but we can also live that. We can also be part of moments where we advocate for those that don't have advocates, We can be the person that can walk alongside of someone who doesn't have anyone else walking alongside of them. And I know it's hard to believe that because a lot of us have family and friends coming out of our ears. And sometimes we wish we had less people in our business, right? But friends, believe me, I have met these people. They live near us. I've been on their porches. There are people around us who have No one, zero, who are begging for just one person. We have opportunities all around us for us to be just one person for someone else.